Welcome to the second season of Alternative Parenting Podcast, where we learn how to guide our kids to find their own path while supporting them in cultivating traits that will empower them to live a life of fulfillment, meaning, and satisfaction. I'm your host, Efrat Amira. Welcome back. The conversation I have for you today is so powerful, full of deep wisdom and inspiration. Alisa Vasquez is the leader of the Awakened Village Spiritual Community and the Awakened Village Collaborative. Alisa is an incredible woman. She is one of the most genuine people I have met. She lives in full integrity with her values. She is a wealth of knowledge, wisdom and inspiration. Alisa is truly here on a mission to make the world a better place. Together with her husband, Sal, which you will get to know in the next episode, she runs the schools my kids go to, the Awakened Village Collaborative. Alisa and Sal are a power couple. They have their mission set to create a better place for families and children. In their work, they support families and kids to become powerful creators in their lives and show them that anything is possible if you set your heart on it. Alisa and I discuss how we support our kids to change their energy from victim to creator and the importance of letting them explore, fall and fail while giving them the supportive environment to do so. Doing this will raise a generation of people who are free thinkers, leaders and empowered humans. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, welcome, Alisa. I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast. I've been waiting to have this conversation with you. And we've been trying to set this up for over a month. <laughs> so I'm happy that we made this happen. Um, so just start with introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself, what you want to share about your journey, about your parenting, and then we'll dive deeper into the conversation. Hi, everyone. I'm Elisa Vasquez. And I, I'd like to think that I, I've worn many hats over the last <laughs> decade or so. Um, one being a certified professional life coach, kind of back when it was not uh, very popular to, you know, people, I, I remember having to explain to people what a life coach was about. And now everyone's a life coach. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was a professional life coach and um, I have a finance background. So I was, you know, running a firm in Manhattan, a finance firm in Manhattan for many years. Um, and it's funny because growing up, I think a lot of us girls like imagined, you know, what it would be like to be a mom and to get married. And that kind of wasn't my journey. It wasn't in my, in my mind. I, I, I was very, I was kind of on the older side when I started thinking about marriage. Um, for me, it was like about the corner office and, you know, uh, my, my career and, and, um, I was having a lot of fun out in the world. So, uh, my parenting journey started a little later in life. Um, but it has been one of the ways in which I feel like I've grown the most, you know, sometimes we say that our kids, um, you know, are the ones who teach us 
right? There, there are greatest lessons. You know, a lot of times we think that we're there to teach our kids, but what I've found to be true is that they're there to teach us. And so that's been my journey. Um, over the last 12 years, my oldest is 12. I've got three kids, um, 12, 10, and my, my youngest is five. And she definitely runs, runs the world. <laughs> she runs our house. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's been a joy. It's been a joy, but it's also been really hard. So there's been uh, periods of like, you know, it's just been, it's been difficult at some points. Um, my husband and I, I would say at some point he got really sick and um, he was bedridden for many years. And a lot of the stuff kind of like landed on me. Um, and during that time, I was also, I've always homeschooled, right? And so like having the kids home with you, you know, now taking care of a sick husband, having all the financial responsibility. I mean, we really went through a really rough time. And I want to say that during that time, my adrenal glands really were affected. Um, and, um, in order to make some income, we came up with like, out of our, our need, right? We had a really big need um, to, to help discipline our kids and help them self-regulate um, and just to find positive, you know, ways of discipline rather than this like punitive uh, stuff that's been taught or that our, you know, our generation was pretty familiar with. But we needed to explore new ways of being able to bring some like conscious um, parenting to our kids. So we came up with an emotional intelligence product. It was called Superhero Training by Awakened Generation. So we started a company called Awakened Generation. And um, it's really like a tool to help kids move through the emotions, to identify them, to become aware of them. Um, and then to realize that they're at the cause of their life and not the effect of their life so that they can understand that they're powerful creators, right? They can create um, out of their being and out of their innate wisdom, they can create, they don't have to be subject to emotions. They don't have to get stuck in their emotions. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's no emotions that are necessarily bad per se. There's no judgment on the emotions, but where we resonate is our choice. Like where we end up landing is our choice. And so for the kids, that's something that we develop to help them navigate that at a young age. Mm -hmm. Um, and then through that, um, that journey of developing that tool and, and getting it into some people's hands and then using it ourselves. Um, that was during the time that my husband got sick and I, I was, I was explaining about my adrenal glands and I became a mess. And what I realized is that like, I was very dysregulated and that began my really deep, like in-depth journey into how can I heal? How can I you know, be a better parent because I found myself yelling all the time <laughs> and, you know, unable to really deal with the chaos at home because it was just, things became like out of control. Right. So that's kind of what happened. Things were kind of in a good positive momentum and we were doing life together. And then when my husband was sick, it just was too much on me for too long. Um, to the point where I actually had an aneurysm. Yeah. So it got, it got pretty hard, but I look back at that and I say, thank you for those opportunities to grow because 
if it hadn't been for those experiences, I don't know if I would have reached deeper. So I want to dive a little bit deeper with you, if that's okay. I was wondering how you decided to homeschool because you had said that, that you were this fancy career woman and then it, all, of, all of a sudden you're homeschooling kids at home. So how did that transfer occur for you? That's actually a really good question. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that one. Um, yeah, because I'm that type of person that whenever I do something, I do it full in. Like I'm all in. I'm not really like a halfway kind of person. So when I see a need or when, I, when I'm committed to something, I'm fully committed, right? So I, I look at my journey in, in my career path as having been necessary at the time. And it was a beautiful experience. But then when I started to pivot, um, what ended up happening is actually my husband and I, we were just friends at the time. Uh, we started doing some work in the inner city. We were living in Staten Island at the time, and we were working amongst those who were um, in the foster care system and just kids in the streets. We were um, hosting a once a month gig at a coffee house uh, to bring in the youth um, and give them a positive message and for them to showcase their talents, to give them some sort of direction in life. So we really committed to doing that together as partners. That's how we met. <laughs> um, you know, we were just doing life together. And then we filtered those who wanted to go deeper on the becoming journey. Uh, we were meeting at my home. So we had a really big community meeting at our home. Um, and kids just kind of coming from that, um, into that, you know, environment that we created and we had meals together and we did life together. And, um, it was a beautiful thing. Um, and then while I was also working full-time. So what ended up happening is here I am working full-time and now I've got a full-time, you know, I guess you would call it a ministry, a full-time ministry. And I found my heart shifting. My heart space started to go toward the things that I was doing, which obviously I wasn't making any money from that, right? <laughs> That's always the crux. Like, yeah. it's like, how do you make money doing what you love? <laughs> And so I, I was praying at the time. I was just like, God, if this is really what you want me to do, to really give myself fully to this community and to giving back and to the things that I find that really matter in life, right? Not just like your money and, and success and like worldly definition of that. For me, it started to shift. And so when I, when I prayed that prayer, it was a very powerful prayer. Like, be careful what you pray for sometimes, right? I ended up losing my job. So the market crashed. If you remember correctly, in 2000 and, yeah, it was like 2008, 2007, 2008, 2000, into 2009, um, was that big market crash and crisis. I was actually responsible for creating the CDOs, the structured finance um, products that, that housed all those um, residential mortgage-backed securities. And so there was like, literally it went from like 99 cents on the dollar to zero cents on the dollar. So my entire, um, niche, you know, disappeared. It just doesn't exist anymore. They, they, yeah, it was like wiped off the map. And so I was let go because I had to find it, but I found it like, it was scary because I, I was by myself. I, you know, I don't have any family or anyone supporting me. I was unmarried. I had a house, you know, of my own and, um, I didn't know what was before me, but I remember just looking out into the world and I felt like God tell me, like you have the world before you right now, like opportunity, 
is so broad and you don't get these moments very often. You don't get these moments all the time. And like, what do you want to do with this? And I said to myself, I had two responses. I could have chosen to respond in fear or I could choose to respond in like potential and possibility. And so for me, it was like, I went with the possibility. I, I, I leaned in to the excitement and to the rawness of what was before me, like this big open field, almost like a mountainous field. And I said, I'm going to go all in. And I redefined myself. I became a professional life coach. That's when we got married um, and I had kids. And when I had my first son, Dustin, I was like, I want to be home with him. You know, I want, I want to enjoy this period of time. A lot of the women that were in, um, that were partners in the firm that I was at, right? They, they had nannies, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a nanny, but for me, it wasn't, they didn't really see their kids. Like there was not a lot of time spent with their kids. For me, I wanted, I was like, I'm having a child to be in his life and to have an impact in his life and to enjoy each other. And so for me, I knew, like I knew that that was going to be my path. And the other thing is back then we had nothing. We had no ability to financially support ourselves. So it was a faith thing. Like I had to let go of a lot of the, you know, financial you know, comfortability, you know, that we had, um, in order to say that this was more important for me, you know, so it was a sacrifice in some ways at the the onset. That was such an incredible story. (laughs) Um, and you know, I interviewed a few people already about these topics and there are a few things that you said that I feel that really repeats in these stories. So one, one is that you were all in in what you are doing. And the other one is that you had, a f- you had faith, you had that belief, and you looked at the possibility instead of the fear. And I feel that that's kind of like a key to really succeeding in what you want. And that's maybe the answer to how do you make money in something that you really feel, that you really see fulfillment in, that is really important to you. So I'm wondering what you have to say about that. Um, and then if you can tell us a little bit more on how you started the company that you started and how that was able to support you guys financially. Yeah. So I really think that this leaning in to, um, the potential is it's an energetic thing. It's an energetic shift that we need to make um, sometimes we think it's our natural abilities and, and it is, it is very much, but our natural abilities are always there. We're born with them. It's about cultivating the inner world that manifests outwardly. And I think it's an energetic thing. It's a shift of really saying to myself, what do I have to lose? And, and, and being willing to say, because there's always a cost to everything. Anything, no one sets out to do something great and doesn't consider the cost. You go to build a house, you you sit down for a moment and you consider the cost of, of building that house, right? So it's never something that's without cost. But you can make the right decisions when you energetically say to yourself, I'm willing to, to say that's the cost of it. And I'm willing to grow and make room for, for the greater thing inside of me first. It's kind of like carrying a baby. 
right, in our womb, we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily the divine creator that creates the child. We get to take part in it, but we make room for the child and we make room for it and we nurture it. And, and then we get to the really difficult part of like birthing it, right? And so I, I feel like that's also the creation process. We make room for more growth inside of us. We lean in to allowing whatever energies that haven't been serving us or won't serve us in the future. And we excavate that and we say, this is, this, this has got to go so that I have more capability to carry something more. Um, and when you think of like your body as having like a hundred percent energy, um, at any given moment in time, you want to say like, what is that amount of energy? Like weigh it. What is the percentage of energy that I'm in victimhood? What is the percentage of energy that I'm in anger? What is the, you know, in conflict? Uh, what is the percentage of energy that I'm in responsibility? What is the percentage of energy that I'm in compassion? And then the fifth level of energy is actually the potential. So in order to reach potential, the possibilities, where, where possibility is literally everywhere. And it's like in the quantum field, right? It's like, it's where you don't see anything but potential. You need to move through those different energy levels. And so one of the things that I ask myself frequently, because we have to revisit ourselves and be reflective and aware frequently, because things shift. We, we're always growing. We're always dipping in and out of different you know, things. But what I ask myself frequently is what is the level of energy that I'm actually resonating at? Mostly. And certain periods of time I have had to actually say to myself, wow, I'm actually in victim energy. And that was a huge thing for me because I was an energy leadership coach. Like I'm certified in energy leadership. Like I help people move energies levels, you know, through the energy levels. I've helped big CEOs of huge corporations. Like I've helped people and whole companies and organizations move through the energy leadership. And so this last period of time when my husband was sick and we like lost everything and, um, we were in the middle of like a huge lawsuit. We were, it was just like, we almost felt like we got taken out like our family, like we weren't going to make it. And, um, I went through a three, almost four year ordeal, you know, with really being in this place. But I had to finally come to the like realization that I was in victim energy and I didn't realize it. And it, and I realized how it happened was I kept telling the story over and over and over again, because people were asking me what was going on with my life. And they saw me in, in tremendous need. I mean, there was a time when I couldn't even keep the lights on. We were, you know, all freezing cold in our winter jackets, blowing smoke in our house. So we had no heat in the dead of winter with my little baby home, wow. you know. So I was telling the story. Mm. But I kept telling it so much that what ended up happening is my consciousness believed it. Mm. And I was in victim mode. And I couldn't believe it. Wow. <laughs> You know, I had to like humble myself and be like, wow, like I, I'm here and what am I going to do about it? And so I shifted that. I shifted it by saying to myself, I will no longer identify with this story anymore and I will no longer tell this story anymore. So I became, I had to put up a boundary in my own storytelling 
that even though this is what I'm currently experiencing, that I will no longer tell this story as if this is what's happening. I'm going to tell another story. And I started talking about the potential. I started talking about what the possibility was. And that's when we um, really developed the, the product. And I started saying, instead of my kids running amok and being dysregulated and not knowing what to do with their emotions, I said, we're going to develop a product for them to be able to, to, to move through their energy levels. And they're gonna, we're going to give them shifting strategies. And we're going to do this in our home. And we're going to create a little nook where they can go and they can move through these shifting st- strategies on their own. And so it really started with, with me shifting my own story and, and saying that I was going to lean into the potential, the potentialities rather than what was actually occurring in my life at the time. I don't even know what to say <laughs> because that was so, so powerful. Mm. Um, and I have, I have so many questions. So I want you to tell us more about your transformation and how do we teach our kids to do that transformation as well because i really really believe that we are the models for it so we have to start by doing it ourselves but then what are the tools that we give our kids in order to for them to be able to deal with their own situations in life i actually love this question i'm actually really passionate about um bringing this conversation actually to the Awaken Village Collaborative. Like this is a lot of what we're trying to teach the kids. So we actually saw a need for this so much in some of the, the kids that we are part of our, we, you know, we run a, a spiritual community as well. And in that spiritual community, we saw such a drastic need, like a drastic need for all of our kids to kind of experience this transformation. And we said, why don't we, you know, start a, um, a forum, a, a, a space where we can all explore this transformation together and teach the kids to move through this together. Because I do believe it happens in community. It's really hard to move through these things on your own because you're not normally confronted with the fact that this is what's going on until you start to do life with people. Um, until you let people in to your, to your space. Um, and so I will say that I'm really passionate about helping kids realize that they're powerful creators. And so that's why we refer to the kids here as powerful creators, because they're not victims. They're not at the cause of their life, you know, at the effect of their life. They can be at the cause of their life. They can create what they want to see. And it starts with this realization and this constant speaking into uh, their lives so that they realize that that is the environment, that is the ethos of which they're growing up in. Um, I think as parents, if I could bring a corrective experience for that would be the over, um, I mean, we call it like, we have a name for it in our crunchy community, right? Like the helicopter parenting. (laughs) I would say when you notice that that may, you may identify as that something that you're doing, um, once that awareness comes up to really challenge yourself, to allow your children to explore and to back away and to have faith in them and to let them fall 
let them explore, let them come up with their own conclusions, give them environment where the, yes, there's guardrails, but the guardrails need to be a place where there's a lot of potential for the kids to learn that they can overcome. And so when we're, we're over nurturing and over babying our children, I think what ends up happening is they get this story in their mind that the world is not safe. And if we continue to treat them as if they could get hurt all the time and they, you know, need us for every little thing, right? For us to provide the meals every second for them and to give them every, everything that they want. I mean, kids these days don't even need to make plans. They don't even have an opportunity, opportunity to explore or to be bored. There's no real venues for them because we're overdoing it. We really are. As parents, we're overdoing it. And, you know, I've got my kids like schedule, you know, well, I don't necessarily, but you know, I've seen it. I've seen it in our world. And these are loving parents, like moms that I adore, you know, like we've just done it because it's part of the conditioning. It's part of what we're, what we're thinking needs to happen because it's maybe a life that we didn't get, you know, I don't know what the mentality behind it is, but I definitely see that parents are like scheduling their kids out for months, you know, every day of the week, there's something to do. And there are these one-off exposures. They're not in-depth experiences where the kids actually have to be challenged and come out with producing something. And so we even say at the collaborative, like we want to go and have the kids experience an in-depth learning where they have to go through the struggles of what it's like to create, what it's like to, I mean, for us as creators, all of us, even us parents, even us adults struggle to bring content, to, to make something. It takes months, maybe sometimes years to produce something of value to put out into the world. Our kids have no exposure to that because they're consuming and consuming and consuming. They're in front of the television or the devices, or we're bringing them from one thing to another to, to consume. They're getting these experiences where maybe there's a certain exposure to something cool, right? Like an artistic program or something. But are they actually spending the time and, and moving through the struggle of what it means to produce something? I don't think so. I would say I don't know if that's really been a part of their journey, you know, in this generation. And so I think we need to give our kids more room, more space to, to explore, but to move through the, the challenges on their own. Because confidence, if we really want confident kids, so competent kids come from confident kids, mm-hmm. right? And to produce confident kids, you can't just sit there and tell them all day long how wonderful they are. And what you need to do is put them in situations where they have challenges before them that they need to overcome. And then they overcome it. And then guess what? They become confident. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just small things at first, things that are a little challenging, but you know that they can win. It's these creating environments and contexts where kids can have those small wins and begin to get get more and more of those until around the age of 12 and 13, kids should really be having something like an initiation experience, I believe, that we don't have in our culture these days, but has always been throughout time. Um, Many different cultures have had these, you know, rites of passage. But our children need that in order to uh, expand into adulthood in a healthy way, to know that they have what it takes 
to go out into the world. Because the way that we've got our, the way we've designed things since the industrial revolution is we've created kids to get in line, to be a part of this like robotic system where everyone needs to be the same. And if not, it kind of like expels those that are not part of this system, but it's designed to like create in people, uh, to be factory workers and to be good citizens of that, of that, you know, system. And so as they come up into college, it's the same thing. You know, you're, you're feeding the system. Um, they come out of school and they come out with a whole lot of debt and, and then, and then there, I've seen this time and time again, where I've mentored a lot of people that were in college and came out and they literally did not know what they wanted to do with their life. And now they've got $250,000 that in, in loans that they're paying. And guess what? Because they don't know how to assimilate into life. Guess what they do? They go back into school mm-hmm. because that was a place where they were comfortable mm-hmm. ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth never really assimilating it into production. It's consumption. It's a consumption model that doesn't have people partake in the, in the production of things other than, you know, conceptual things. And so we really need to be able to give our kids contexts and places where they can, where they can explore being a producer and failing mm-hmm. and, 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 and have it be celebrated. Have that failure be celebrated because it's in getting up and it's in overcoming and it's in being challenged that we really know that we have what it takes. And so when they go out into the world now, they're like, cause you know, the world right now, it's crazy. It's hard for us. Imagine these kids, what they're growing up into. We need to instill in them that they have what it takes. And it's not just with words of affirmation, even though that's a beautiful thing. It's going to take more than that. It's going to take us realizing that our kids need to struggle a little bit, you know? And, and, and so that's what I'm saying. The victimhood story that we're kind of telling over them in multiple ways, other than just our words, we're not necessarily doing that with our words, but when we rush to the rescue every single time that they fall, when we, you know, rush to fill in any gaps and spaces where they might be able to explore and their prefrontal cortex be developed, right? It's these things that I think that if we can, if we can begin to like back away a little bit and give them that, that room, I think that we would find that there's a generation of kids that can retell a story of, of empowerment. Everything you said was so accurate uh, in the way that I see things also. Um, and I just wanted us to think a little bit about because we want to give our kids the opportunity of growth, right? But then on the other hand, we also, from, you know, from what I learned, from what I read, and from my experience, our kids need some of them more and some of them less. They need our support. They need our emotional support and they need to know that we are always there for them no matter what. So I'm trying to think how do we balance between, on the one hand, giving them opportunities to fail and to fall and to grow and to explore, but on the other hand, knowing that we're always there for them no matter what. Because from what I know and from what you know, attachment theory says, 
from what uh, different educational theories says, um, from a, what you know, psychology theory says. Um, the way that we gain confidence is by knowing that we have at least one supportive adult in our life that, that sees us, that is always there for us, and that we can always go back home and have that home as our safe space and as our kind of our um, way, way, place where we can just fall and be who we are and not be challenged and just kind of relax from the world. So how do we balance those two things? Yeah. So just to clarify, a lot of what I was talking about was more of like a corrective um, experience rather than like, um, you know, like looking at it as like, this is entirely what needs to happen. Um, But I do think that a lot of the attachment parenting, which I definitely, um, I, that's what I practiced in my parenting also was like, I I didn't even put the kids down. I don't think for the first five years, (laughs) maybe four years, four and a half. Um, but I do think that there, the attachment style and the attachment parenting is kind of up until age five. So there's a certain, uh, early, early period they're formed by, by the age of five, not to say that you move into this just like tough person. Um, but I would definitely say that, you know, how do you define love? You know, love is a very, it's an action and love is not always, um, Love is not always just this place where, where you can feel comfortable. Love is sometimes a place where you grow. And love is sometimes a place where people believe in the potential of you more than, than what you're ex- currently experiencing. And so I think it's creating a nurturing environment where you're also um, saying, I believe in your potential. I know that there's something more. And I think that's the balance. It's a balance between not rushing to fill in all the gaps yourself, but giving them room to explore. And that's what I mean by being challenged. It's not like this, um, it's not where it's like always hardship. It's more like a place where that you can safely explore and know that somebody believes in you because children live up to our beliefs about them. And so there's a shift in mindset with saying, oh no, my kid, you know, it's a fear-based mindset when, when, when I'm talking about in terms of, um, the victimhood story over our children, it's, it's when we say, oh, they can't do this. That's not possible. And, and, and you'd, you'd be surprised how often I hear this from parents. They will rush in to tell me that their kids can't do something before their kid even has had a chance to try it. Because it's uncomfortable to witness our kids' uncomfortability. Mm. It is. And so we put a lot of our own stuff onto our kids. Rather than instilling in them a place of belief. Like, I believe in you. But not just because I'm saying it, but because I'm actually giving you an opportunity to live it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm creating that space for you to grow. And initially when something is very small, that's why I say the attachment parenting, the attachment style is very much formulated early, early, early on. Not that we can't redo things if we haven't, you know, if we messed up early on or whatever, but I'm sure that as a kid grows, you can still nurture them, still give them that love, still bring some correction, you know, 
God's mercies are new every morning. I feel like it's always, there's always an opportunity to change. But I think that the attachment style grows. I think it grows similar to a seedling, right? Like if you had a little seedling coming up and it started to sprout before you put it in the ground, you're not going to like rush in to pour all these like nutrients on it and uh, fertilizer and all this water and drown it out. Like it has to be like, you know, protected. You put it like a, like you put like a plastic over it sometimes, you know, like a, to, to make sure it's like staying nice and warm. And it's very like, you don't even bother it. You just talk to it maybe sometimes, give it a lot of light. But then as it grows, it needs to be put out into the environment. It needs to be tested um, in the soil that it's supposed to be planted in. And so it needs to be tested with the elements. And that's also, and then you still, you're still caring for it. You're not just like abandoning it, but, but there is a, there's a, a different type of nurture and it's a nurture that allows for growth. It's interesting that you say you kind of divided into it, it, it into stages, like up until age five, we really, we have that attachment bond that is very, very strong and our babies are practically with us or on us all the time. And then they get to the age five and we start to let them go a little bit, like little by little and expose them more and more to life's challenges. And then they get to that initiation point where they, they need to have some kind of initiation. And it's funny because in a lot of cultures, as you said, there is this initiation, some kind of ceremony around age 12, 13. In Judaism, it's bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. So it's 12 or 13. Um, but I'm wondering if you can give us a concrete example of how it looks like to support them on the one hand, but let them deal with a challenge on the other hand for those mid ages, for them, for the ages between five to 13. So we're not completely protecting them anymore in those between ages. If you can give us an example and walk us through how it looks like. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of um, like just small things along the way that I've. So one example would be um, cooking, you know, like I've. I think that our generation, it was like we were fed, right? Like our parents believed that we had to be fed personally, like with like our parents would have to feed us with a spoon. (laughs) And I think small things like this, like maybe allowing the child to struggle through feeding themselves. Yes, it's messy, right? So that's like the kind of, and then the next stage would be, oh man, the whole kitchen's going to be a wreck, but what does it look like for my kid to make some eggs or pancakes? Let them flip them. Teach them, yes, you can get burned, but let them struggle through that, right? Like my, my five-year-old makes herself <laughs> her own breakfast sometimes. Like she goes and she'll make herself like eggs and, you know, she does And uh, my boys did the same thing. You know, it was definitely not easy to like clean up, you know, teach them to clean up after themselves. And um, another thing would be instead of cleaning up after them, like one thing I've really, really made a a conscious effort and it takes longer. It's it's more annoying because then you have to like wait for things to be cleaned, but I won't clean up after them. If they make a mess, they have to come back, even if they're all the way down, you know, down the street, let's just say, playing with their friends, I'll be like, come back because you left it. And when you don't do things right the first time, that means that you've got to re, you know, you've, it becomes inconvenient. So there's these little lessons along the way. And as they get older, 
and they're in that competitive. So in that age group of like the mid, the mid range, you know, I would say like seven to 11, seven to 12, something like that. Um, there's a lot of competing, you know, that that's the place where they're recognizing they go from like the infant stage to seeing themselves through your eyes to now discovering who they are personally. And so there's a lot of self-discovery. And so in that age range, they're competing with other people to find out what they, what, if they have what it takes, you know, sometimes often with their own siblings, right. Which becomes maddening for the parents, but it's a really necessary stage of development for the kids before they can move into the broadcasting of their, like finding their place amongst others and saying, I can make room. What does my life look like in the context of the community? Um, but in that mid stage, that competition stage was always very hard for me because they would like fight my kids. And it was like, ah, but it, it would be like letting my kid climb a tree. You know, it would be like, you know, letting them handle tools that could be like, you know, like an ax and let them cut down the, the wood. And, um, so I think that it's just very practical things sometimes in the context of education, it's, um, it's like letting them struggle through, let's just say like my, my, my oldest son hates presenting cause he gets very self-conscious. I do too. I, it's, it's, you know, it's nerve wracking, but growing up, I don't think I really had the opportunity to get in front of a whole classroom and start to speak and, and learn speaking skills. I didn't take debate, so I don't really know, you know, but I think it's an important skill for our kids to also learn. And so for him, he started to explore this last year and everything in me wanted to rush in and be like, Oh, you know, I know it's so hard. He would turn bright red. I mean, like he would turn bright red and I felt so bad for him because he had to do this in front of like parents and everything. Like it was, you know, it could have been downright horrible. Like, (laughs) but I was proud of him and I was able to come alongside of him in the story he was telling himself afterwards, rather than rushing into like cause him to not struggle through that to not know what it feels like, to not have to, because it opened up, uh, it opened up the opportunity to have the, com- the deeper conversation. Like what's going on for you? What are you processing? What's causing you to be nervous? So there's real teaching moments that happen when we allow our kids to kind of struggle through different things because we want to create places where they can struggle through. We want to create, wouldn't you rather your kid, here's the other thing. I'm just going to go into this one thing that I had to challenge myself in because I grew up with a very strong military father, you know, ex-military. And it was just a different world back then. Like everything was about obeying your parents. You know, I I don't think it it was just me that grew up like that, but I had a very strong, like extra strong in that area. So I, I, um, I kind of came away wanting to do things differently and very consciously having to devote myself to doing it. It's not been easy. Like it's not like, I'm not saying I I got this perfectly down, but I'm really, really working on it. Like really, like it's taken all of my effort. (laughs) Um, and one of the things is, do we really want our kids to be obedient? Is that really like the outcome? Like I had to ask myself that because I automatically default in what's comfortable to me is the way I grew up. Like it's just a comfortability thing. It's just an innate, something in me is like, I'll default to that in times of stress. Um, But then I have to say to myself, wait a minute, like, is that really what I want from my kid? I just want obedient little citizens. Like, is that it? Is that what I'm trying to create here? Because that's really what I'm doing. 
And so I had to like challenge myself in that. Because if that's, if we're saying to ourselves that we want our kids to be free thinkers, if we want our kids to be free to explore who they really are, not suppress who they are, if we want our kids to be creative, if we want our kids to be leaders and thought leaders, creative leaders, then we're going to have to, to say, it's like, we're going to have to nurture their creative process in, in finding out and discovering who they are. And so it gets a little messy. And that is the area where I'm at right now, where it's like, what does it look like to allow my kid to struggle in a safe environment, to challenge me, to challenge me? Because if they have to go out into the world and practice, they're behind, right? And so it should be a thing for them to be allowed to challenge you in your own home because, but that goes against everything I grew up with. It goes against every cell in my body. It's like, who are you talking back to, mister? Like, you know, like it's very, or missus, like, why are you yelling at me, you know? Instead of really saying to them, okay, I, I appreciate you calling me out on that. Maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe there's a respectful way to say things. Like giving them the opportunity in a safe place to explore some of those things and ways. It's the same thing as presenting, right? You want to give people and an, an, an education, give them a context in which they can fail or which they can explore or which they can try to do new things, challenging things and not be completely shut down. So I think it's like, it, it crosses into many different spheres, right? Of life. It's so interesting because most parents today work very hard in getting their kids from place to place to place and planning their day. And <clears throat> trying to control their kids and trying to get them obedient, right? So the mindset is the parent is planning. The, the parent has, you know, thinks that he has all his, li all his kids' life set up for success, right? And the only thing that he has to do is just follow up with that plan. But what you're suggesting is actually something completely different but it's not less hard of a work. It's, it's the, the hard work here is to keep ourselves out of their way, right? Because as you say, because the way that we grew up in, um, our automatic response is gonna be to go and save them or our automatic response is going to go and make them the, the breakfast. Our automatic response is gonna be cleaning up after them. And it's gonna be, you know, saving them from those difficult situations. So our hard work is actually not to take them from place to place or plan their day. Our hard work is our emotional work and just keeping ourselves out of their ways and letting them grow. And I think the, um, the balance that we talked about before, about supporting them and nourishing them and loving them on the one hand and on the other hand letting them explore by, by themselves and letting them fall and letting them fail um i think the way that we can kind of uh create that balance is by having an open conversation and you talked about open conversation and you know letting them experience the experience and afterwards walking them through the experience and trying to help them understand what they what they were feeling and i think that that gives them 
much more, you know, much more confidence and much and that that lets them be much more competent when they get out to the world and then have to deal with it more or less by themselves. So these were such incredible, incredible insights. And I think I learned so much and I know that our audience are going to learn so much from this conversation. Um, let us know if there, is an, if there is a way that they can follow, you know, your work, hear more about your project that you're doing and if they can contact you in some way. Uh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being here with you. Um, thanks for having me on here and for all the work that you're doing out in this world. Um, I think it's so necessary and I appreciate you. Like really, like I, I hope that everybody um, can see what a gift you are and will continue to follow, you know, as you develop this and go deeper and deeper. And I know there's just so much. It's so rich. You have such a rich inner world and I look forward to it all coming out and you giving that gift to everyone. And so I just, I just pray for it, for you and all the goodness that that's to come. Um, in terms of me, I, I would love and invite you to follow us on, um, the Awakened Village, you know, collaborative page that we have on Instagram and, um, on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't normally like have a place to promote myself, but we'll see if there's, there's something for, to develop from here. <laughs> Uh, just follow my page, which is fine. I did want to just say one last thing in closing because it came up as, as I, as uh, I heard you speaking, I, I did want to just say that, um, I don't, I, I also see like these, I think it's all about balance because I, you know, I talked a little bit about one spectrum, like one of the tensions being this kind of like victimhood. And then the other tension, I think that we don't want to do is have this like neglectful parenting either where it just becomes like a free for all, like very distance, you know, and I, and I see sometimes that happen where all of the control and all of the power goes to the children and where they're not learning like ha healthy boundaries. And so I think that there is a need for that balance, right? So it's not just let me give them all of this room. It's also like, yes, let's, let's create room, but also let's create some healthy boundaries so that they understand that this is how the world works, right? There's order in the world. There's, there's structure in the world and, and we thrive within those boundaries. Um, and so like, you know, I just wanted to say that I think that that's an important aspect is this like balance, like between the both of them. And I look forward to, you know, doing this more and more together too with you. Um, at the collaborative. <laughs> so thank you again for having me. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again. Wow, there was so much here. It was hard to find the main takeaways. But here they are. Number one, we can teach kids that they don't have to be subject to their emotions. There are no emotions that are essentially bad. But where we end up landing is our choice. Number two, when we cultivate an inner world, and lean into the potential, there will be an energetic shift that will manifest outward. Number three, no one sets off to do something great and doesn't consider the cost. You can make the right decision when you energetically say to yourself that you accept the cost and are willing to grow and make room for greater things inside of you. Number four, when you keep telling the story of victimhood, you leave yourself in victim energy. 
you can decide to stop identifying with the victim's story by talking about the possibility and the potential. The victimhood story is fear-based. Number five, kids can be at the cause of their life and not at the effect of their life. They are powerful creators and not victims. They can create what they want to see. Number six, in our society, we over hover over our children. We control every minute of their lives. We overschedule them and don't give them time to explore, be bored, or make plans for themselves. Their experiences end up being very superficial. They are consumers of more and more activities rather than having an in-depth experience, which can be reached through a lengthy amount of time spent on each endeavor. Number seven. We need to challenge ourselves to allow our kids to explore, to back away, to have faith in them, allow them to fall, let them come up with their own conclusions inside rail guards, but still allow them ample freedom. Number eight, competent kids come from confident kids. We need them to overcome challenges. Then they become confident. They need to know they have what it takes to go out to the world. Number nine. We have created a system that creates people to be good citizens in the system. People go through the whole system till after college and don't really know who they are and what they want. Then they go back to being consumers of the system. Number nine, our kids need to struggle a little bit. If we can begin to back away a little and give them room to fall, we will find that there is a generation of kids that can retell a story of empowerment. Number 11. Love is sometimes a place where you grow and where people believe in the potential of you more than what you are currently experiencing. We need to create a nurturing environment while challenging them. A place to safely explore, to know that somebody believes in you. Number 12. When our kids experience difficulty, we can be there for them after the fact and help them make sense of their challenges. By this, we show them that they are not alone in their hurt, disappointment, fear, or frustration. These are great moments of personal growth and strengthening of the relationship. Number 13. Many of us grew up in an environment where we needed to obey our parents. But do we really want to raise obedient kids? If we want to raise free thinkers and leaders, we need to let them challenge us. Then they will be able to challenge the world norms. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'll talk to you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and was inspired to make small shifts in your parenting that will support your kids to bring forth their full potential while living a life of ease and well-being. To support the show, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show. Leaving a comment can be very helpful in promoting the show on the podcast platform. If you think that this can benefit other parents, please share this podcast with them. I invite you also to follow my Instagram account, Alternative Parenting Coach, and join my private Facebook group, Alternative Parenting, where I would love to hear your thoughts about the episode, what you learned, what inspired you, or what you didn't agree with. Your feedback is extremely valuable to me, as we are all in this process together, living, learning, and evolving. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon.